and I remember working with Maria Bamford in Adelaide in the early 2000s. You, do you know Maria Bamford, who's, um, uh, what's my favorite joke of hers? Um, if I was going to have plastic surgery, the part of my body I'd like to have removed is the part of my brain that gives a fuck about what other people think. I just adored her. <laughs> I wanted to be her, but I couldn't be her. Um, that was amazing, by the way. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Uh, that uh, So the impressions, is, it was it, like, is, this, yeah. is this going to be a new part of the uh, upcoming oh, yeah. tour, impressions? Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I'm definitely going for accents. I'm from Dorset. <laughs> Hey, kia ora team. Today's episode is brought to you by Mr. Vintage. Mr. Vintage is New Zealand's most iconic t-shirt brand. Doesn't matter if it's a local pop cultural phenomenon, a sporting event, or even a New Zealand personality, there's every chance that Mr. Vintage has made a t-shirt for them and some product for it. Kiwi owned since 2004, selling Kiwiana t-shirts and gifts online. There's even a range of king sizes for us bigger fellas. Today, Mr. Vintage and us want to give you an extra special special. How about 20% off any men's t-shirt? All you need to do is go to mrvintage.co.nz. In the checkout, use the promo code FUNNY. If you N N Y and you will get 20% off any men's t-shirt. Head to mrvintage.co.nz, enter the promo code FUNNY at checkout for 20% off any men's t-shirt. You're in Dunedin now, right? Yeah, yeah. I've I've been here since 2014, man. It's been forever. I didn't realize it was that long. Yeah, you know, I came down um end of 2014 december 2014 yeah so that's that's coming up shit nine years i guess next year i'll be i've been here for 10 years yeah Bloody it's hell. forever i know it's a it, long time it, yeah Dunedin's great it's yeah city. yeah i love it eh? i love it to bits i've always said yeah. to people like i i'm not one of these people you know like how ex-smokers are the worst people in the world and they're like, because they're like, oh, you know, smoking is terrible for you. You know, oh, it's, you don't, don't need to do it. You, people who leave Auckland are like that as well. Oh, yeah, yeah fuck Auckland. You know, oh, it's the worst place. That's not me. I like coming back to Auckland. I like Auckland. I can all, I've always said I could imagine being back in Auckland. I just don't have any desire or any reason to come back. But if the right opportunity presented itself at the right time, I'd happily come back to Auckland. I love it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Whereas Wellington can go fuck itself. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I left Wellington because it had shit weather. Uh, yeah. And now it turns out Auckland's got shit weather and Wellington's terrific. Yeah, well, as, as we record this podcast, it won't be up for a few weeks, but as we record it, you guys are, are what, number storm number three on the way? Yeah, I think so. I'm a little bit nervous about this one. We were away for the big flood. We flew out of Auckland Airport on the day of the flood. Like I right. was being hilarious as we were uh, arriving, well, yeah, at the airport, Auckland Airport, Friday morning going looking out the window going, guys, I hope our plane takes off before the tarmac's flooded. <laughs> Crumbs. And that's what happened. But we got but out. I, I think some of the most shocking footage I saw from that event in Auckland was the airport being flooded. 
Yeah, it's weird. Like kind of shin deep, ankle deep, shin deep water through the whole international airport. Because I'm like, I'm still not entirely clear. Maybe it's the both of. I'm not entirely sure whether the water came up from the ground for that one or whether it came from the sea and overflowed. But whatever, that was, that was like, I mean, you know, it's, it's funny. I always think about of an analogy as to what's happening to me today versus what might happen to me. And I think about airports because I think about how often I go to the airport and I put someone onto a plane. And then there's that occasion where you go to the airport and you get onto the plane and I walk through the gates and I go, huh, so this is what they're experiencing when I drop them off, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and and the floods are like that. It's like, we see this all around the world, but I've never seen it in New Zealand. Not to be arrogant and say it can't happen here, obviously, but obviously. it was one of those moments going, this is, this, this doesn't happen here. This happens other places, but it's happened here. It's really weird. Yeah. Hey, well, look, thanks for joining me so much today, Michelle. I enjoy speaking to you. In fact, I've spoken to you. I feel like, like my connection to you was sort of through your husband, like, like yes. an interpersonal kind of level that I'd done a lot of stuff with Jeremy for quite a long time, uh, way back to theater sports days. But I also, I feel quite lucky that I've spoken to you quite a few times in the last week, well, including over Christmas. Uh, where I got to talk to you on a radio station about your New Year's honour. And, and even though we've kind of talked about it, I guess I wanted to say congratulations again. And I'm wondering, how has the tiara turned up in the post? Has it actually arrived yet? No, I, but I, luckily I uh, already own a couple of tiaras of my own. So uh, I've been able to just dust those off. It, I don't know if I've said this to you before, but it, it has involved less curtsying than I was hoping for. People aren't curtsying nearly as much as I uh, expected. No, it's lovely. It's um, It still feels like this tremendous gift, really. I, I quite enjoyed it before anybody knew because I kept it a really good secret for about three months, October. Um, and that was like, I don't know if this makes sense, but it, for me, it was like being a little kid walking around with a very um, – precious little stone in your pocket that you're not going to show anybody but you know you've got it nice that's really nice yeah, yeah i i, I yeah. as you're saying that i'm thinking about each time i was um with my former partner and we were pregnant it was that you know you had that kind of four months of mm, not telling anybody it was it's a, it's a nice moment yeah. sort of thing yeah yeah a good secret is a really lovely thing to keep i i like it and you know there are a couple of moments um I was, uh, just before Christmas, I did a gig that I did not enjoy because they still happen uh, in um, Kirikiri Roa in, in Hamilton. It was, um, it, they were just drunk. They were just like several hundred people, very drunk. Um, not there for com comedy, there to just get drunk. And there was a man who was, um, this is what he said to me. <laughs> and it's hard to know how to be supportive when somebody says that kind of thing to you and then he kept taking photographs of my bum and showing me on his phone and saying I promise I won't post it so it was just anyway it was disgusting and um and all I could think was I the thing that stopped me from feeling really yuck about it was uh you don't know this buddy but I've had a letter from the governor general <laughs> and the king said yes <laughs> and it just cheered me right up so was it yeah. was it the king I'm just thinking, because that would have been, because yeah, October would have been quite close to that transition because of the passing, wouldn't it? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, so I'm the first batch of of honours from the king. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. So you get the you get the email saying, we'd like to offer you this honour. Would you accept it if we did? 
and you get to say yes or no and then they say great and now we're just going to run it past the king and see what he says and he says i mean and he goes to youtube and he goes stand-up comedian what have they ever said about me or my mom or you know what have they said about him what is he gonna say (laughs) and i do have this really lovely um vision of there's a moment where he's sitting at his desk with his sausage fingers and finding a pen that doesn't leak and he's, there's a list of names and he's going, Michelle, like, well, what does she do? Something charitable? Mm, let's have a look. Oh, stand-up comedy. Do ladies do that? <laughs> so, yeah, I just really, I like that idea that he saw my name and had to go, yes, tick. <laughs> do you reckon that's what actually happens? Because, yeah. I mean, so many underlings, but is it the kind of thing that it, because it's in a, an award, like a, a an honour, it has to be ticked by the king, like he has to sign something or something? Yeah, I think so. Wow. I think that's the, there's a, probably a very proper, I watch the crown. I feel like I know exactly how the royal <laughs> system works. Um, I think there's a proper system. So names are cited and things will be signed right, off. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he pays no attention to it whatsoever. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he didn't Google me. But, um, <laughs> let's hope not. But, uh, yeah. I, can I tell you one fabulous thing? Speaking of Googling people, um, one of the greatest things that's come out of it for me is that I now have a Wikipedia page. Because ah. there's this amazing group of women. They're called, what are they called? Turn Red Blue. You know how if you search somebody on Wiki and they don't have their own page, but they're mentioned in another page, the name yeah, appears yeah, in red. Gotcha. Um, so what these women do is um, they're New Zealand-based women, I believe, and they um, the night before the honours are announced, they they all get together and they get the once they, the things are announced, they all check through all the women who receive honours, and if they don't have a Wikipedia page yet, they create them. Wow, that's so in cool! Like a a matter of hours, and so I suddenly. They were announced on the 31st of December. By the end of that day, I suddenly was, I had a Wikipedia page that is, I didn't have one before, and it's full and it's correct, it's accurate, it's it knows more about me than I do. <laughs> and it's just these women saying, because apparently, you know, like um, 19% of the people with pages on Wikipedia are um, women women are way in the minority and so they're just making sure that um women are represented in that sort of public information space so i thank you to them what a bunch of why would that why is that i mean like i don't i I mean that sounds like a dumb question but you know i don't like the answer the patriarchy like i'd either delve a bit deeper why would only it be 19 percent of women like what what because if someone's got profile like i've got a Uh i've got a wikipedia page i don't know who did it when I was an no. overnight announcer on a radio station, like a, a nothing job, bottom of the totem pole in the media world, and someone made a Wikipedia page about me, and it's still there today, and I don't suspect it's been updated for the past 10 years. But why do you think that would be that that women would be less represented on Wikipedia? Because, um, because it's... Ugh. How do I explain that without just saying the patriarchy? <laughs> can, but it is you can, the patriarchy. You can say that. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, that's what it is. Like men pay attention to men, promote men. Um, that's who gets the attention. That's who has the loudest voice in the room. The, maybe the, you know, the people who spend a lot of time making Wikipedia pages are men. 
I don't want to say sitting in their mum's basement, Maybe, yeah. but I think I just. I think I just yeah. said that. I'm sorry. Taking, bum, um, taking photos of bums or female comedians, those kind of people. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so they're busy, you know, talking, writing about their heroes, the people who impress them. Yeah. And women are, um, you know, holding down full-time jobs and raising children and doing all the emotional labour. And, um, like, I heard an interview with a woman who who is part of the international movement of women um making sure that women have wikipedia pages and she's a she i'm i wish i had prepared this but she's a scientist and she every day she goes home from her job i don't know what she does. Science, she does she's sciencing of science yeah shit, that, <laughs> she does a shitload of sciencing and then she goes home and she um she lives by herself and doesn't have a family and so every day she goes home from work and she writes a wiki page about a female scientist wow so she finds somebody from history or current times and does all the research and puts together a wikipedia page which obviously gets updated and added to and, and enriched and nourished by other people but she every day she goes home and makes a page for a woman in science who has not been recognized yet i i guess i mean i'm i'm gonna sound really naive now michelle um, it's just such a, it's like, you know, you get into your own echo chamber and sometimes that's a bad thing because you don't hear external words, but like my echo chamber, I think about someone with profile, be they male or female getting exposure on Wikipedia. It doesn't seem to me to be, why would there be a difference? Like, cause that's foreign to me. Like I had, a, I have board, oh, right. I have borders in my house and I had a border turn up the other day, a potential border. And she's got a Māori first name and she goes, oh yeah, a lot of people don't to invite us to talk to him because I've got a Māori first name. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like I don't live in this world where someone with yeah. a Māori first name would be discriminated against purely based on their name. This this kid, kid, early twenties, I'm getting old. This kid is like full time student, full time worker, working in the health industry, so she can go back to her Hawke's Bay home to you know to, to look after Māori health initiatives. And they're an amazing human being and can't get past the door in some places because she's got a Māori first name. It's just, I don't, uh -huh. I don't, I, I know it's there. I'm not being naive saying it's not there, but I don't get it. It's not part of my world. I don't, it's so bizarre. You're not listening to a lot of talk back, are you, mate? Well, not, not so much anymore, although I did some over summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, we, we do live in worlds where we don't see how other people are discriminated against because it doesn't affect us. But so my daughter's Māori and obviously so are my um, muko. I've got two grandchildren. And I can remember times when when my daughter was younger and she was going looking for a flat and if she went by herself she wouldn't her chances of getting the flat were less than if me nice middle class middle-aged white lady turned up with her right. um and i watched that happen you see you know she comes around the corner and you see the landlord and then i turn up and there's a different response or if she goes by herself and then i come the second time she'll go he was really different to me this time. And you go, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. Do you think we all have that uh, a version of a, a perspective of bias in us? Do we all discriminate on some level? Like, uh, you're an enlightened person, Michelle. I hear you on Radio New Zealand and I listen carefully to the words you say. Do you ever look at yourself and go, where's my bias? What's my discrimination? Do you know what it is? Yeah, I do. Yeah, no, I do. I think about it a lot. I am. I have a lot of privilege because um, I'm white and I'm middle class. And I was going to say middle-aged. I think I'm just heading down the other side of that now. 
but um i you know a lot of things are easier for me i'm a lot of things are easier for me too because i have a modicum of a profile yeah um so people are nice to me or or sometimes they're not nice to me but um but um yeah i have all kinds of advantages that i try to be aware of and I, you know the point of of being aware of your privilege is to um use it to boost other people's voices and make them heard so i quite often particularly now that i'm getting older i think that my role is to create spaces for other people rather than just make you know trying to make a space for myself like when i walk into a room that doesn't usually have a woman in it what i'm hoping is that even when i leave that room that i will have left a woman-shaped space in it for other women to walk into that's what you're trying to do yeah i like i like the conversation around privilege and i like having it because so many people are like no fucking woke hard but it's like i always think of it really simply and this is how i describe it i mean you can correct me or you can expand on it i talk about privilege like I own a house now. And one of the reasons I own a house is because my dad had the ability to lend me money for a deposit for my first house way back in the day. So I look at that as a, as a privilege. And when people are like, well, it's not privilege, you've worked hard. I go, yeah, I've worked hard to keep the house I've got. But it was pure luck that I got the first house because of the situation I was in. So I describe it as something I didn't earn, that I don't deserve, that I benefit from. Yeah. So that's how I kind of think about it. Like I don't, didn't earn my father's hard work to get to a position. I don't deserve it. It's not like it's an entitlement that I'm, you know, in society I'm supposed to get, but I benefited from it. So that's that's how I kind of think of what privilege is. Is that do you think does it sound yeah. right to you? Or is there any can you it's expand a really on good that? definition? Yeah. Yeah. It's something that was given to you not because of what you did, but because of who you are. And and it's because of society has, I think, um, a kind of default human to it and the more you are like the default human the easier things come to you the more likely you you fit into spaces so if you're um able-bodied and healthy and you uh are white and male and all of those things you know it's it's going to be easier for you than if you're not some of those things yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I like the i like the conversation around white privilege because so many people are like oh white privilege is not a real thing and all you got to do is go well this 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 criteria i put through i didn't earn it like that's up to my celtic yeah. parents you know i didn't earn that be, earn being white i don't deserve it it's not something that's owed to me and all you got to do is look at for example the justice system to see how people of caucasian origins get treated differently mm -hmm. in that system so i'm getting a benefit yeah. from it that others don't get so it's yeah. really easy to unpack and explore when you look at it in that sort of way well at least in my opinion yeah yeah no i, I totally agree with you yeah um it's a pretty light-hearted conversation we're having so far about comedy eh? chatty. <laughs> <laughs> hey um i think i've told you this before but my first memory of you uh was uh the final of the rugby world cup in 1987 and i remember you because it was a saturday morning i think or a sunday morning and i was watching what now and you were wearing a french rugby jersey and i remember that to this day um and i think you were simon barnett at the time probably wearing an all yeah. wearing an all, 87, all black jersey 87 was probably frank flash and danny watson maybe it was danny watson wearing an all blacks jersey and you were wearing a french jersey 
Yep. And then you yep. kind of say, oh, my surname. And you explain. And, and I was going to ask you one thing about that because I know lots of people who know you, who know you very well, other comedians, that sort of thing, who are in your world. And there are lots of people who still pronounce your name differently to one another. A court, a core. How do you actually pronounce it? And the origins of that based around your French history, is there actually a French connection or is it just like, like my, my surname, my mother's maiden name was Mulligan. So I've obviously got that Irish thing going on, but it's a few generations back. Tell me about your surname and the pronunciation of it correctly. So all those people who are saying it differently can get educated today. It's a court, like acorn, but with a t. So you do the t at the end, a court. All right. Yeah, a court. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's very anglicised. It is originally French, apparently. Um, Huguenot refugees in the what is that? The sixteenth century, seventeenth century, from uh, France to England. So um, three hundred years in. Where are they from? Dorset. They're from Dorset. And then I had this um, great, great, great grandfather. Zachariah Acourt, who at the age of something like 14, left Dorset and went, I'm just going to say that all the time, <laughs> just going to throw that in random, Dorset. He left Dorset and he went on a, on a, I can't do it, on a ship to, he went off looking for gold. He oh, was wow. like the fourth son. There was not enough money for four sons. So off he went. He caught a boat, caught a ship, caught a ship. I make it sound like a bus. He got on a ship. Yeah slowly probably oh my god and he went to california looking for gold wow. and then he went to melbourne looking for gold and he uh got married in melbourne and came by ship to ross on the west coast of the of new zealand aotearoa and uh drowned about a year later oh. in a fishing accident and the guy he went fishing with married his wife all I can tell you. Um, you can fill in the rest, I think. So, um, so that was Zacchaeus. He was known either as Zacchaeus or Zachariah, and he, amazing dude, right? Like I just, I often think that it's very cool to be descended from somebody who had the kind of courage that that would have taken. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking purely about the the on the on the boat. Though that 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 yeah. triangle from the UK to America to uh, Australia, that's probably some of the most dangerous in that age, dangerous trips you could take. Yeah. 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 And I like that. I like it that, um, and I, you know, I have other uh, people who come before me who obviously um, got on boats and came here. And, um, and I really, you know, my, um, that's on my dad's side, obviously, Zacchaeus, Zachariah, Acourt. On my mother's side, my great grandparents came from Oldham, mm. Lancashire, it's not a Lancashire accent. Uh, <laughs> I'm not just stop it, Michelle. Anyway, um, they came here and so they left in 1913 and arrived here in 1914, knowing they could never go back. Mm. Like they came here to help establish the Salvation Army in New Zealand, and they came here knowing that they would never go back to England. Wow. They would never see those relatives again. This was a, like it, not just a once in a lifetime opportunity. It was the, you could only sell up and buy tickets and go to the other side of the world one time. And you were also going to 
a country that you hadn't seen on television because there was no TV. You hadn't yeah. really seen photographs. Yeah. They, they, they knew lithographs of, they had been shown lithographs of New Zealand and they involved palm trees and women in grass skirts. Oh my goodness. So they'll come into the, they'll they, come in to speak to the natives. Yeah. Well, I think they were coming to do Sally work with um, other settlers. Yeah. But they arrived in Wellington in the teeth of the howling gale and <laughs> I, mean, I don't think this is as tropical as we were promised. But they were really good people. They were socialists um, as well as Salvation Army officers and did, yeah, I'm really proud of the work that they did. They, they worked, you know, they had, the, the deal was they had regular prayer meetings at their house, but basically that was about um, inviting people who didn't have food to come and have food. Nice. Yeah, the Sallies are amazing. Eh? I, I was talking to someone just the other day about how the church kind of works in Western countries today. And that when you see a church group doing it well, like the Salvation Army, then everyone in society loves them because they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is getting out and for want of a less kind of Bible crazy type word, looking after the widows and orphans. It's what they do. It's like they're driven to, yeah. to serve people, which is sort of the whole premise of it. And then you get examples of all these other kind of churchy type groups who who then just yeah. they, they yell it from the from the pulpit but they don't get out there and serve the people like the Sallies do and I think that's the yeah. best example like growing up in the Catholic Church watching the Sallies and what they do like you guys have you guys have the understanding of what it means to serve people and look after people and you know whether it's through their is it called the bridge their drug and alcohol rehab or whether it's through their shops yeah. providing uh, you know low income products or whether it's through their food banks they they they're one of the groups that are really doing it and using i guess their religious beliefs as the cornerstone for why they do it yeah it's about serve i'm not a salvation army um, member um because it stopped with my grandmother who divorced her Salvation Army husband for infidelity and got, this is a long, tedious story, but the Salvation Army part kind of stopped before I was born. But it, you're right that the Sally and I still, they're my favourite yeah, of the a soft spot. people. Um, very soft spot. And there's some gorgeous stories, like even though my grandmother was kind of excommunicated, um, she... Um, and then we lived in Levin and the Sallies knew. So that all happened in the early 50s. In the 60s and 70s and 80s, Christmas time, Salvation Army truck in Levin would come around to our house and stop outside our gate and play many Salvation Army hits. Because mm. the devil doesn't have all the good music the Salvation <laughs> Army has got. And I thought that everybody, I thought the Sally stopped outside everybody's house, but they stopped outside our house in particular because they knew that's where my grandmother came for Christmas Aww. each year. And oh, when she moved to Whanganui, Whanganui later, the truck came to her house there. Wow. And yeah. Yeah. So, you know, can I just say the Sallies are not without, um, they, they did some, really shitty things about homosexuality and you know they were on the wrong side of history and some of the those things but they're about service yeah. and that's the thing I like about them as opposed to so many other organized religions that are about proselytizing rather than 
service. Do as I say, not as I do. So this is really ones. good comedy yeah, chat, mate. It is, I know, because, you know, there's nothing like laughing at the church. Um, <laughs> and I'm, al- I'm allowed to, because I grew up Catholic, you see. It's like I'm, I'm allowed yeah. to make jokes about fat people, you know, so that's a... Uh, Although, although that's getting less and less and less as I lose more and more You're going to stop being allowed to. You're, you're not going to be allowed to do that I very know, soon. I know. Even, I think even now. Uh, no, no, no. no. Um, so let's talk about that. I mean, I normally start off with asking when people were funny, but I do have a question for you about, about making jokes and about within the comedy realm, is there stuff you're not allowed to joke about? I mean, is there things that it's not okay to joke about or is everything on the table? It just depends how you joke about it. Yeah, I think everything's on the table. I think it's how you joke about it. I think it it's about who is the is the butt of the jokes. You know, a joke um, takes the piss out of somebody. Yeah. And if you t- if you're punching up, cool. If you're punching down, no. Um, and the example I always think of is um, when I first started out, I didn't do stand up. I did character comedy, and I did a show. I was living in Queenstown, and I did a show with a bunch of women. Uh, called Exposed, which toured around New Zealand. Um, And uh, I wrote, we wrote, a sketch about rape. So if somebody says you can't make jokes about rape, well, you can. If um, It depends what the the joke is. It's not the topic that's the problem. It's what the joke is. So, um, yeah. I get really weirded out when people say, oh, comedy, you're not allowed to say things you are you're allowed to say anything you like um but the audiences will let you know if that's acceptable and you have to back it you know consequences that's all there are consequences to to what you make jokes about i mean i would prefer that ricky gervais didn't i would very much prefer that he didn't could probably stop the sentence there um (laughs) do anti-trans jokes i just what the fuck like why make jokes that take the piss out of people who are already struggling to have their place honored and respected in the world why would you do that why don't you make i mean there's a long list of other people uh that you can make jokes about oh i made myself quite angry I, I am interested in the concept of punching down because I remember speaking of Ricky Gervais because he obviously makes you so mad. Let's talk about him. Um, he made a joke about Caitlyn Jenner's driving at one of the Golden Globes and it wasn't necessarily about her gender identity or her transgenderism or anything like that. It was about her driving and the debate then flowed after that was this hundred person worth $100 million is not necessarily someone who's uh, being oppressed very much. Is there is there a line there? Because she seems to be someone of incredible wealth and power. So is a joke towards Caitlyn Jenner about her driving, is that still considered punching down because it's about a transgender person? Or how does that, in your opinion, how does that sort of marry out? Yeah, that's, an, it's a, that's a really interesting question because part of what I respo- want to respond to is that Caitlyn Jenner is representing transgender people yep. right that's that she for a lot of people might be the only one they've ever heard of yeah 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 um and so you make any kind of joke about her why are you picking caitlin jenner for a start to make a driving joke is it really about driving or is it because she's a handy catch-all for trans people I, just just to expand so, on it, I, i'm not to do, i'm not defending his joke but I've, yeah. t- but i've heard his explanation his explanation was he was actually making a joke about her being a woman driver. Now you can say, why are you making a joke about a woman driver? And his response was that actually it, 
he would make a joke about women driving and he made a joke about her as a woman driver. So he was actually his joke. And from his point was looking at her being a woman as a, and I'm look, I'm not, don't look, don't, don't pull a face at me saying whatever, but I'm just saying, is that the, the, the limits of to where you can and can't joke about when you say like yeah. transgender jokes, does that mean nothing? Or can you still be have an angle then when you're not necessarily punching down? I feel like Ricky Gervais was deliberately trying to cover himself right. with glory. Okay. But, you know, the irony of, oh, but I just think of her as a woman and I'm just going to make a sexist joke and the person I'm going to choose to be the part of that is going to be a woman. And, oh, is she transgender? I didn't realize that, that was important. What a dick. Hey, selling you a piece of bullshit. Um, does that mean that you can't ever put Caitlyn Jenner in a joke? I don't know. I mean... I wouldn't, but because I, I think she comes with a whole bunch of layers of stuff. And it, you just, if she is going to be the only transgender person represented, then uh, I don't need. Uh, has, it, has it changed? Let's, let's look back. Like I think about often when I speak to comedians, especially maybe of our era, not that I'm a comedian, but of our age, that our era, um, they look back to things like Delirious by Eddie Murphy being a kind of a, a, like a quintessential young childhood memory that drove them towards stand-up comedy. That doesn't seem to be one of those ones that you look back on now and the, the jokes haven't aged well, but Eddie mm. Murphy doesn't seem to have been held accountable, my words, for those jokes where others have. Do you... So what he said on stage back then around, like, for example, the gay community, there's some horrific jokes around the gay community and that stand-up routine. Yeah. So yeah. in other words, have these things always been happening on stage that are inappropriate and this is just a new iteration of it? Or have we become more evolved to understand that this is not okay today? And I also wonder why Eddie Murphy hasn't been, I hate the word cancelled, I'm not saying that, I don't really believe in it. But, you know, he, no, nobody's no, he hasn't really been, whereas you look at like a Kevin Hart who said some things in the early 2000s and lost his, what, what kind of got called out for the Oscars. For some reason, there seems to be this little ring around that Eddie Murphy, maybe because it is such a quintessential stand-up comedy that he's kind of been given a bit of a pass on that. But has this thing like the Ricky Gervais thing always been happening? Or are we more enlightened now to see it happening in real time and we don't have to look back and go, oh, that didn't age well. We can see right now that it's not aging well. I don't think any comedy ages well. I, I, is my answer to that. I, you know, you go, I mean, Billy T. James comedy doesn't age well at all. Um, I'm old enough to remember um, Dave Allen and this is, you know, 1960s television, Will Tappers and Shunter's Social Club. And, you know, my wife's so fat. She, when she sits around the house, she sits around, around the, the house. house. Yeah. Liz Dawson. Um, sorry, I did that. I don't know why I did that. That was awful. Cut that out. Um, <laughs> So, no comedy age as well. It's all representative of um, the zeitgeist and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable today. And um, yeah, so I don't, I can't answer why Eddie Murphy has attracted less opprobrium. But that's, but that's right, isn't it? There's no really anyone who's ever really called him out like publicly in a big way. And 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 if that is the case, if no comedy ages well, why is anyone held accountable for what they said twenty or thirty years ago? I th yeah, uh, I mean, I have thoughts about if somebody said something dreadful 20 or 30 years ago and you say, you said something dreadful 20 or 30 years ago, and they go, yeah, fuck, I did, and I would never say that again. Yeah. Um, so 
how you doing? <laughs> I mean, I did some, I did some shitty. I remember doing some gags in the nineties and uh, that I would never do now. Um, using, you know, back when something was gay, yeah. you know, um, and I think a couple of times on stage I might have gone, oh, don't be ridiculous, it's gay. Yeah. And that's horrible. I'm sorry that I brought it up. It makes me feel yuck. Um, it's not, yeah. And I would never do that now. Um, so, I mean, you evolve, right? I don't know. I mean, obviously social media has made the noise much louder yeah. about what people did. Um, somebody threw a tweet. Somebody took a screenshot of a tweet that I sent in 2010 and posted. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, I, I'm not ashamed of it. It was a tweet that said, um, I made, a, I wrote a tweet about uh, the Auckland mayor calling him, I just said, is Mayor Code Brown trending yet in New Zealand? Hashtag Code Brown. Um, it's a terrible tweet it was just about poo on the beaches i just i find poo jokes amusing <laughs> and um and somebody accused me of being a violent bully my goodness and and to prove that i have always been a violent bully they had a screenshot of a tweet that i sent in 2010 where john key had said on the radio me and the all blacks we're quite mates and I had written that in the tweet and said, yeah, Junkie, I think you're quite dick. Again, it's not a terrific tweet, but I do not think it's violent bullying. So, um, yeah, I mean, everything that we say is now somewhere on the internet, right? And we are going to have to learn to forgive each other, not just comedians. We're going to have to forgive 17 year olds for what they post on TikTok. in 20 years time we're going to have to go you were 17. It's, it is i i there, what are you doing there's now? a lot of the stuff going on at the moment in society that we're in a transitional period as to what we do with language and and i think i think a lot of the conversations around gender is that as well what does this word mean well we don't know yet because we're in a transitional period and when we get to the end of that period we'll have more of a definition of what this word means you know it's like i talk about mount egmont mount taranaki like there was a transitional period where it was getting called both and it meant different things to different yeah. people. And then we got to the end of it and pretty much everyone calls it Mount Taranaki now. And we have a definition, definition it cool? for it. I, find it. I find it really cool that somebody, I heard somebody say Mount Egmont the other day and I went, what the fuck are you, where is that? <laughs> I, where, where is that? Oh, I grew up, you know, the first probably 40 years of my life just down the road from a place called Mount Egmont. Mm. And now I've forgotten, you know, it's like, um, if you were out for dinner now and somebody at the next table lit a cigarette, you'd be like, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. What's going on? Um, so we evolve. Isn't that great? Yeah. We evolve really quickly. I think that idea of holding people accountable for what they said in the past, we're in that transitional, we haven't figured it out yet. And like I mentioned Kevin Hart once already, as you described, you know, someone saying something stupid, then going, eh, it was stupid, moving on, is sort of what he did do. But we haven't quite got to the point yet where society then goes, oh, that's okay because he's apologised. We're not there yet, but we're in that. No, we're we're in that. We're in that movement, and it'll be fascinating to see where we get to and where we end up being. But I think so many of yeah. those debates around, you know, what does this word mean? What does that word mean? It's like, well, we're in a we're in a transitional stage. And I often use, you know, like you've mentioned the word gay, but the word gay at one stage yeah. meant ha yeah. meant happy people, nothing else. 
And then it started meaning, uh, meaning you know, uh, same-sex relationships. And now if you use the word gay, it pretty much only means same-sex relationships or within an LGBT community. That's been a transitional yeah. period from a word meaning one thing to a word meaning another thing. And within that period, people would have been arguing about, no, it means this, no, it means this. We're in that period right now with a bunch of words. We'll get to the end of yeah. it. And then as a society, we'll have decided and things will be clearer. So, you know, cool your jets. Cool your jets on all yeah, these conversations. It's all going to be all right. And can I also say, I know Kevin Hart, we'll, we'll stop talking about okay. it any minute now. But um, he didn't get to host the Oscars, right? He's doing fine. You know, he's still working. He's still a multimillionaire. He's still, I'm not saying that it can't have been um, a bad couple of weeks for him, but he's he still exists. Yeah. He's still got a career. It, you know, I get really frustrated when people go, oh, being cancelled, and you go, ah. J.K. Rowling's still writing yeah, TV series. I, I think people talking about being cancelled is, is I think it's a, it's a bullshit. It's like people were talking about being PC and now they're talking about being woke. They're all just buzzwords that don't actually mean anything. And I agree with you. I yeah. guess the only reason we brought up Kevin Hart is because we're talking uh, to comedians. Um, but I also... And it's because he's short. It's because he's short, isn't it, Pat? That's what you're doing yeah. with that. That's why you looked at me, you yeah. went, oh, Yeah, that'll be it. That'll Same be it. Hey, um, when did you know you were funny? When did you finally, in your head, kind of go, oh, I can make people laugh. Oh, I would have been a, a tiny, tiny child. So, because I grew up and like I was, you know, talking about the Salvation Army people. So um, the Sallies, they were all musicians because they all played, you know, the euphonium. Yep. Brass. Which is an hilarious instrument. And my grandmother was a singer and my mother was an actor. Um, my great uncle Frank was the world's greatest raconteur. Um, and so storytelling and making people laugh was probably the most valuable thing you could do in my family and so um yeah if you wanted to impress people in my family you didn't um bake a cake or mow the lawns you made them laugh wow. so yeah yeah so i mean you might you might want to bake a cake as well that's that's, that, that's a really interesting thought what if you wanted to impress your family i know what mine was mine was like hit a golf ball like like okay. a, a sporting thing, and like I can actually remember, I was I was more of an adult, but I can remember not not very many times that my dad's been like whoa towards me, but I can remember standing at my sister's house out in Mudiwai, uh, on a cliff and hitting golf balls off onto down to their property, and like having dad be like, it's my boy, yeah, and so yeah, it's it's so your family was like. Here's more value for you because you're yeah. making us laugh. That's and then what? can you contribute to this conversation by saying something amusing? And so my grandmother and I ended up being a you know the family double act at Christmas and birthdays and whatever. She would say a thing, I'd say a thing. She'd say, "Oh, whoa. um." So yeah, and we had a very similar sense of humor. And then on the other side of my family, weirdly, um, my dad's younger brother Trevor. Uh, who's still alive, we have an identical, really dicky sense of humour. Um, and when we get together, it's it's like a little sitcom. Right. <laughs> Which, you know, I think other people are kind of, Ugh. but we have very good time together and just this totally in sync sense of humour. So, mm. yeah. That's interesting. Um, did, did that then flow on into school? Was it like sync? You, yeah. were, you, were, you were like under 10 sort of thing and it flow into school and did you feel power in making people laugh at school yeah totally absolutely and uh and i then i and because of that i got cast and um 
plays. Like the first play I was in was at primary school. I can't remember what it's called, but I played the smallest footman. I mean, I it became very clear. I would have been like six, and I wanted to be cast as the princess. Right. Um. Uh. Because I don't know if you know this, but I'm a girl, and that's what we do. <laughs> Um, but I was, um, cast as the smallest footman and I, uh, my first line was, why has his majesty got his foot wrapped up in a duster? Right. Um, and it was a kind of emperor's new clothes thing that I'm not going to explain the plot, but it was hilarious and I made everybody laugh and I went, yes, this is what I do now. This is my thing. When, how did that then lead into stand-up comedy? Like, because, I mean, we've talked about the television presenting. Obviously, that was a path for you very early on. Were you already doing stand-up and stuff then? Were you moving down the acting presenting stand-up path? Stand-up didn't exist in New Zealand. Pat, yeah. then. The 1940s. Uh, yeah, <laughs> come on. Uh, 50s even, not not there yet. There was no stand-up here. I mean, there was character stuff. There was, obviously, Billy T. James and um, uh, John Clark. So, like, light entertainment, um, more light entertainment, yeah. more skits, more that kind of sketch and sketches yeah and fantastic stuff you know i grew up watching back house on television and um and free dag was like god in our house yeah um we all knew all the words to all the songs and many of the sketches um it, but there wasn't any stand-up i remember seeing stand-up for the very first time on television mm-hmm. and i didn't know what it was called but i it was uh, the carol burnett show and it was all sketch comedy with Lionel Waghorn, Wag, well, I don't know. Uh, great show. And I loved her and she wasn't pretty. She was hugely attractive, but not, a, you know, but like Lucille Ball, not pretty. Not an Insta not model. The, not, not, a, not an 80s version of an Insta model. Not a Charlie's fucking angel, yeah, mate. Yeah, 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 she yeah, was yeah. An actual human, and um, in the Carol Burnett show, she would uh, at one point in the show uh, walk out on stage, no costume, no makeup, no funny teeth. There'd be a stool and a microphone, and she would talk to the audience. They would ask her questions, and she would say hilarious things. And I watched that and went, "That's what I want to do." How old were you? What was it? How old were you in that moment? I would have been ten. Now, Carol Burnett um, um, played the the bad woman in Annie. Is that the right same person, Carol Burnett? You know, the the person mm. in charge of the uh, in charge of the orphanage. Pretty sure it was, wasn't it? Does she in Matilda? No, no, in, in the original Annie oh. in the eighties. Annie. I don't know. Yeah, right. I don't know. I only know her from that show. Yeah. You you are quite possibly right, but no, I only know her from that show. So you were at intermediate school early college at this sort of it age was at primary primary school it was at primary school and then yeah and i did theater my mother was an actor so i thought that was what you you know that seemed all seemed very normal yep. you know did school lunchtime concerts did debating public speaking blah, 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 and it, but constantly being cast as not the the lead female the ingenue the I was, you know, I was never the princess. I was always the smallest footman. And then I did drama at Victoria University with David Carnegie and Phil Mann. And again, always auditioned for the the queen or the, you know, and I was always, the, I was bottom or I was. And you're always yeah. the footman, the version of. Always. <laughs> I was always the little comic actor. I was always the one that walked on and made everybody laugh. So tell us about your first stand-up gig. How did it happen? 
So I can't, so I, when I, uh, after What Now, which was all, you know, sketch comedy, uh, then I moved to Queenstown, did Expose, which was again, sketch comedy, character, monologue stuff. And then I got pregnant and thought, I don't want to drive to Invercargill to give birth. I'm going to move to Auckland. It's a very shorthand way of explaining what happened there. <laughs> uh, and I had met Facial DBX and Andrew Kovacevich and knew that Kitty O'Brien's had a once a month comedy gig on a Thursday. And so I turned up, I was pregnant uh, and I was doing character stuff mostly. Um, and then one day I just, uh, oh, it was when we were doing a bit after 10, which was a 1993 television comedy competition. Yeah. And I had auditioned as my character, Alison Thrust. <laughs> I know. She did cooking and sexual health. <laughs> okay. And so that, actually, uh, that, that, and that sounds like a character that you've traveled on in real life, author your writings and opinions <laughs> all the way through, and podcasts, perhaps. <laughs> it is a little bit. Yeah. I had another character that I did on Video Dispatch called Eva Brick. I've, oh, I've, I've, I've had a time. It's been a great life, thanks. And um, and then on the day of the semi-final, the final of a bit after 10, I thought, I don't want to put the wig on and I don't want to play the character. I'm going to do five minutes about, um, my baby must have been born by then. I'm going to do five minutes about how weird breastfeeding is. And I did that and um, and won the competition that night. Came second in the end. It was, yeah, anyway. Patriarchy. But, um Oh, no, it was. It was a dude, yeah. and he shaved his head. And it. it was a phone and vote, and he had more mates than me. And la la la. Where is he now? I don't know. <laughs> He's an accountant. And um, yeah, so that was probably my first stand-up gig, walking out just as me in my own clothes with my own voice, telling my own story. So yeah. you weren't pushed into it. You just made a decision. You were going to go up and do it, and loved it. Yeah. Hungry for it. And then what? What about after that? Yeah. I mean, how does the transition go from that first gig to you know? I mean, I know that here in New Zealand, all our stand-ups do other things, but, you know, basically yeah. full-time professional stand-up comedian. How does that happen? Uh, I kept being harassed by the fabulous Paul Horan to turn up for Kitty O'Brien's gig. So that was, and having that one person who believed that I could do it was really helpful. And then, yeah, I just started doing festival shows, um, ultra super vixen women with really enormous tits in 1995 with Jack Tweedy and Emma Lang. Right. Um, and then I did some touring with Mike King in New Zealand and Australia. But I parlayed, because I, then I became a single parent, mm -hmm. and I parlayed what I was doing with stand-up into corporate events, initially doing, um, so this is in the 90s, yep. so, um, doing after-dinner speeches, Oh my God, sometimes it was just so horrible. Like you were totally the wrong person in the wrong room. And it's corporate gigs are different from comedy gigs because they didn't buy a ticket to yeah. see you. They came to have dinner. Yeah. And there you are, either delighting or offending, sometimes both. And oh fuck, sometimes it just felt like your bum was on fire. It was just horrible. <laughs> but sometimes it worked. And so and the money was great. Like I was getting 40 bucks for a comedy gig and I was getting maybe, maybe sometimes a thousand bucks. That's pretty good money in the 90s. Yeah. Oh my God. 
that bought a lot of, you know, cheese singles for the kids' lunch. So yeah, min- minimum um, wage. I just did this last night as part of another show I did. I think minimum wage in the nineties was about three hundred bucks a week. So a thousand bucks for one gig's pretty good. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So that was. Yeah. So, and then parlayed later, and I kept doing stand up, doing a lot of corporate stuff as well. The same, and it's the same stuff. You're just getting paid differently. Yeah. Um, and then I, um, in the early 2000s, discovered that I was really good at emceeing businessy, corporate y things because I, I love making the audience feel comfortable. I love making the next speaker feel comfortable. I love running a Q&A. I love pretending that I know shit about <laughs> shit. It's hilarious to me. Four, um, four bullet points will get you through a whole night, won't it? That's all you need. Four yeah. bullet points with information. Yeah, just a lot of <laughs> yeah. And yeah, uh, so, and that's, I still do a lot of that because, and I, because it pays the bills, but also I really genuinely enjoy it. And I have, um, you know, it's one of those interesting things to me was I was told, don't be too much of a feminist, don't be too much of a left winger, don't be too much of a loudmouth, don't blah, 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 blah. And they're all the things now that people employ me for. Yeah, totally. It's like I'm constantly facilitating, emceeing, chairing events for women in leadership or young women learning. You know, it's, it's going back to the the new year honor Mm -hmm. the bio that they write is basically a list of all the things i was told not to do she started a union she threatened a strike she talks about feminism all the time she's a loud mouth left winger it's (laughs) that's all that stuff that i wasn't with everybody said don't do that you'll be unemployable well that's why the king's giving me a bow yeah there you go perfect eh? um (laughs) Who are you at your core, do you think? Because you do all these things, you wear all these hats. Are you a stand-up at your core? Like if you were to be able, if you if your CV only had space for one thing, one yeah. skill, one job, is your core of what is like, is it stand-up and that feeds these other things? Or is it entertainer? Is it presenter? Or is it, well, let's not get mushy, but like mum? You know, but you know, what's, who are you at your core in your professional life? <sighs> That's really hard because I think there's two things. I write down on, you know, um, arrival cards on planes, writer, performer. Sometimes I write performer, writer, performer, stroke, writer, writer, stroke, performer. Yeah. I, the two things I love are um, being in a room attempting to entertain people and being by myself writing, putting on a piece of paper or a screen that's interesting because they're like polar opposites aren't they they're like solace my time my head and this is all in here versus all out there they're like they are literally the opposite of each other so does that mean you are you are at your core then as well are you an introvert (laughs) introvert or extrovert or are you someone who just lives in both worlds comfortably yeah both um I think what what is the there's a definition of an extrovert is somebody who gets their energy from other people yep. and an introvert is somebody who gets their energy from like being alone yeah, yeah. both 
of those things and I can't do too much of one without doing some of the other. I wonder if you I, are, I wonder if you are both. I did one of those personality tests one, like a big three hour one at a business and I, I struggle with them because they're like, you know, do you write lists or do you go off the cuff? And I'm like, well, I do both. both. But they, yeah. but he said to me, the guy at the end of it, um, like it's a full three hour massive thing. He goes, it's very obvious in the results that innately at your core, you're an impromptu person, but you've taught yourself to write lists. So he was able oh, okay. to see in the numbers. And I wonder if you are, and I'm not challenging you here, Michelle, but if you are mm. genuinely living in both worlds or do you do honestly feel more natural in one and you've taught yourself to, you know, be able to get from the other. I see what you're saying, I, but I don't, I'm not buying because <laughs> I look, I look back, I look back to my childhood and even like, even then I was somebody who was either wanting to be out there in the world with lots of people doing noisy, loud things, yep. um, or very happy in my room alone with books and dolls and what, whatever. Um, but quite often, even as a very tiny child, like primary school child, alone in my room writing a script for a monologue that I was going to then go and perform for my family. Oh. Yuck. Wow. No, I mean, look, I'm, I wasn't challenging you there, Michelle, because it kind of resonates with me as well. I love doing, uh, I love doing the kind of big and big and brash and on stage sort of stuff as well. But you know, if I can get a weekend in the house by myself with no one around, that really, that really feels good as well. You know, I like that as well. I so know. I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. As you were coming up and coming through the stand up uh, sort of ranks. Do you remember looking towards, I mean, you mentioned Carol Burnett, but as you're going through your kind of professional development, looking towards other comedians and kind of going, ah, like them, like them, like them, like people from your past who you uh, drifted towards either professionally, maybe offshore, didn't have to be no personally or personally. And what about today? Do you look towards people today and go, maybe the next generation and go, ah, they're, they're something special. Yeah. Yeah. Yes to all of that. So I remember watching Janine Garofalo yeah. the very first time. Um, cause you know, I started doing comedy before we had YouTube. <laughs> so, um, I used to listen to, um, comedians on a cassette, yep. a cassette, just a little plastic anyway. Um, and so when did I first see Janine Garofalo? I don't know, probably early 2000s on, on a DVD yeah. probably and going, Oh, you can do it like that. You can do it. You can. You can do it in a flannel shirt and a t-shirt and and carry a notebook and look kind of like you're not prepared for this and then just be fabulous. Um, and I remember working with Maria Bamford in Adelaide in the early 2000s. You, do you know Maria Bamford, mm -hmm. who's um, uh, what was my favourite joke of hers? Um, if I was going to have plastic surgery... The part of my body I'd like to have removed is the part of my brain that gives a fuck about what other people think. I just adored her. I wanted to be her, but I couldn't be her. 
Um, that was amazing, by the way. Thank you for sharing thanks. that. Uh, that uh, so the impressions is, it, is, this, yeah. is this going to be a new part of the uh, upcoming oh, yeah. tour? Impressions? Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I'm definitely going for accents. I'm from Dorset. <laughs> um, it's clearly good. I'm trying to work on an impression of King Charles, but I don't think I, I don't know. He ends up sounding like um, Baby Stewie from Family Guy. This is French Charles. Yeah, it's not, all that kind of. Okay, I'm going to work yeah, on it. You but, yeah, so you know those women who, and we had we we had so few in New Zealand. Like there was me, Justine Smith, Cal Wilson, Irene Pink. Uh, it's kind of it. And so watching women from overseas was always amazing. Yeah. And I'm really excited about the women coming through now. Um, who do I love? Courtney Dawson. Um, I'm deeply in love with. Um, there's a woman and from Wellington called Lisa. Oh my God, Whiting, Lisa something Whiting, who's just adorable and I can't take my eyes off her when she's on stage. Um, Becky Umbers is adorable. You, I mean, you got, there's a whole, yeah, but you got to say, like as, you got to say as well, you're talking about maybe some up and comers, maybe a bit more so, or, but you got to say the most successful stand up comedian in New Zealand today, New Zealand yeah. is probably like it's today Rose. is Rose Matafeo. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. And what a, I love the way that she has totally picked the ball up and run with it. You know, you know, I don't know her well enough to know if she has any imposter syndrome, but it fucking doesn't look like it. It's, I just adore how she's gone. Yes, I'll go to London. Yes, I'll make a TV series. Yes, I'll make series too. You know, I was so um, full of, you know, sometimes people would offer me opportunities and I go, oh, no, that's no. It's not me. No, I do nothing. No, I'm too. And I was just terrified. So um, I love that Rose is not terrified. I think that's amazing. It's, it's so cool I as well. I've, I've never met Rose. I don't know Rose from a bar of soap. But, um, you know, I love things like Big Fat Quiz every end of every year and you see Rose Metafoe pop up and you're like, oh, my God. You kind of feel, you feel like proud that the, there's a connection, that she's doing all yeah. those things. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very, very cool. It's wonderful. UK yeah. Taskmaster, that kind of stuff. It's like, oh my God, yeah. these things are happening. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, right? It's, it's. I mean, I, sorry, I'm going to just divert us for one second, but there was a moment when I was a very young child uh, staying with my great uncle Frank, the raconteur, and my great aunt Ruth in their house in Napier. And it was school holidays, August, and it was raining all the and I uh, searched through their bookcase and pulled out for no particular reason a book that I'd never heard of by a writer called Catherine Mansfield and um, there was a story called At the Bay and it was in Wellington Wellington was in a book wow. and a lady from New Zealand wrote a book and it had Wellington and, yeah, um, it was mind blowing I think I was I don't know 10 or something and I just went oh Oh, we can do things. I didn't know we were allowed to do things. I didn't know I didn't know we were allowed to be in books. So yeah. That's how I feel when I see Rose on, you know, um Stephen Colbert or something. You go, Oh look, yeah. we're allowed to be. Yeah. yeah. It's it's the last time that sort of it felt like it happened was probably Flight of the Concords. And yeah. then yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. Then the next iteration and the next generation, that's probably what it's supposed to be, Michelle. Yeah, yeah, totally. Hey, it's been yeah. um absolutely lovely talking to you today. 
Um, I've liked it too. Lady Michelle Acourt. Is it Lady? Get Lady. I was thinking maybe they should be some oh. kind of card, like 10% off at all the fast food joints or something like that. It should come with a New Year's honours. I would like that. Yeah. I would like that. Yeah, I don't know what else you get for it. I ha- I get to go to Government House Zone and um, and get my get my bow. Nice. You can get either a medal or a bow. And I, the medal makes it look, look like maybe you fought in the Boer War. So I'm I'm having the bow. It looks very mini mouse. No, I reckon the medal. Surely the medal is going to be longer lasting. Pass it on to your kids. No, it's a, so it's a big red bow with a with a kind of metal thing oh, okay. on it. So yeah, I was, I was about to ask you: Have you uh, have you put it on your um, your email signature yet? But I could probably just go and have a look. No, I haven't. <laughs> no, that feels weird. Just you I should. Okay, that. I haven't done it. Rose Matafoe would have it on her email signature by now. You should put it on your email signature. <laughs> yeah. When I grow up, I want to be like Rose. That's what we should be doing. It's too showy, offy. I couldn't do it. Yuck. Hey, uh, Michelle, if people want to know more about you, what you're doing, where you're touring, what's upcoming for you, oh, what they can they won't. do? Not after this, they'll be like, fuck, we know way too much about her. What is going on? Jesus, what a loud oh, old lady. Um, I've got a website, michelleacourt.com. Easy as. It's been lovely yeah. chatting to you. And there's a Wikipedia page. You can find out anything about and me there. On the Wikipedia page, there'll be a link to external links, which will go to your website as well, I'm sure. I think I think this is how that works. I think yeah. Thanks for joining us today, mate. It's been a blast. Oh, it's been really lovely, Pat. You're there. That was really fun. Ugh. Ugh. Love it.